Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties. So if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area and haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. So today's cocktail and guest are equally as delightful and a huge pleasure to enjoy both of them. Um, so we'll start with the cocktail, which is um, a vanilla cinnamon whiskey sour, and it is turning into fall here in Florida, thank the Lord. Um, it is a just a, a simple twist on a good old-fashioned whiskey sour, which is just an easy thing to make and... So good. Uh, if they weren't so strong, I would have multiple. But um, we just enjoyed one tonight. And so if you want to follow along and make it, you um, just need a handful of ingredients and super easy. And once you get the hang of making uh, whiskey sours, they're pretty easy and delicious. So I used an ounce and a half of a 15-year Glen Limit uh, whiskey. Very delicious, very strong. Um, and then I did one ounce of lemon juice. I did a couple dashes of bitters that didn't really have any flavor, um, which was good. And then I used about a half of an ounce of simple syrup that I made. From there, I had some vanilla extract. So I probably put in a quarter of an ounce, if that, um, and then I just put in a couple dashes of, of cinnamon, ground cinnamon. And I could have actually put in more cinnamon because it was good, but I would have liked to have tasted it a little bit better. So cinnamon to taste. And you can always add a little splash on the top as well. And then I garnished it with a lemon wheel. But you just shake that up really, really uh, well. Um, I may have forgotten to mention to put an egg white in there. So, of course, you can make no whiskey sour without an egg white, <laughs> right? So shake that up really, really good with ice in a shaker and then serve it up in a coop. And it is a perfect fall beverage, a perfect anytime beverage. It is pretty strong, but also very delicious. So... I got to enjoy that with my dear friend Kelly Cohen, who I've known for, I guess, about almost almost five years now. But she does just so much in the community and such, such a strong woman, which is something that I love to see in the community and people that are um, 
unabashedly themselves and bold and moving the needle. And Kelly is one of those persons and she's really been a supporter of the dinner party project, which I've been just, I'm always grateful for everyone that supports me. So I just thank you, whoever you are out there listening to this, to Kelly, to everyone. Um, I don't take it lightly and I'm glad to be where we are doing this podcast, doing things and she's doing things. And it's been cool to see, um, the things that she has brought to Orlando, including the Orlando City Soccer Club and how that has grown over the past couple of years. So her story is pretty engaging and interesting and I learned a lot of things about her that I did not know. And so I hope that you will enjoy listening to another strong female um, leader within this city and uh, let me know what you think. Enjoy. All right, Kelly, welcome to the Cocktails and Conversations podcast. I'm so excited to be here with you. It's a long time coming. A long time coming. So cheers. Cheers. Hopefully you are enjoying. Mm -mm -mm. I was super impressed Mm -hmm. with how you whipped up this whiskey sour. Well, if you know or not know, it is is my favorite cocktail to make. And as it's been getting a little bit cooler here, right here in Central Florida, I thought it was the perfect opportunity to make this very, very favorite cocktail of mine. So it is made with um, the 15-year Glenlivet, which is always delicious to drink, Um, and then added some lemon juice, an egg white, um, some homemade simple syrup, and then I put a little bit of vanilla extract in there and cinnamon. And it's not – I could use a little bit more cinnamon to like really – bring out the fall but it's it's in there but it's not like too strong it's good it's, but it's good it, it's quite delicious it's quite so delicious you did, you did a I, I would tip you well you I would yes, okay, I, right. I, I feel like this is a winner good come back anytime yes exactly anytime would be happy um so i love cocktails it is drinking them making them one of my absolute favorite things to do might be a pastime don't worry about it But for you, um, I know that you do have a very active social life and around town doing all the things. Um, Thankfully, we do have so many great choices for eating and drinking in this town. What would be, what would be one, maybe like a go-to drink for you in general? Like what would be just like a favorite? It could be a cocktail. It could be something else. But what's like when you're at a bar, like you know that you will just absolutely rely on this to be a drink that you'll love. Well, it really depends on where I am. My my favorite, if I'm being a little decadent and indulgent, is Don Julio 1942. Oh, which okay. is just on the rocks, girl. It on is the rocks. I just sip it. Just, I enjoy it. I savor it. That is a sipper. And yes, it is a sipper. And yeah. again, it's not a more decadent day. It is not my everyday uh, everyday cocktail. <laughs> right. I would be broke if that was the case. Yes, and a drunk. Probably. Yes, I would, right. I would definitely be broken a drunk, which is not like my aspiration at this point. So I think very wise. You know, we have to have goals. It's definitely yep. not one of my 2020. But 2020? Yeah, next my goals for 2020 saying Got it. There we go. Right, got it. So I mean being broken drunk is not one of them. But with that being Wise said, choices. I think it, it depends. So my go-to is pretty basic generally. It's either a tequila and soda and vodka and soda because okay. those are easy. They're generally really good. Mm-hmm. And they're low carb, which yeah, I, I think is so very good. Yeah. Um I like if we are in another place, I might do a Manhattan or an old fashioned. Wow. So you're kind of like stronger. Yes, I'm definitely, I'm not for the faint of heart or the like flowery drinks aren't really my thing. 
Good. Well, I'm glad I chose this then. You did. Okay. You did great. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. I like a lot of citrusy, florally things. I like the citrus. Something. I mean, I you know, I think it's all pretty good. But as okay. I said to you earlier, gin, I'm, I'm, I'm reintroducing myself to gin. To gin. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it just smells like college to me, which is a whole different story. So it brings you back to that place, <laughs> which I totally understand. Yeah. Gin can be integrated very lovely in mm-hmm. a more elevated way than just gin and tonics, obviously. With yes. The, tr- the traumatic college years. Yes, 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 yes. So as we grow, we grow into more um, elevated, beautiful drinks. So with with getting that tr- a drink, one of those drinks, what are maybe like three spots around town that would be your favorite to grab a cocktail? To grab a cocktail. Well, you know, it generally depends, right? It depends on what you're trying to do. Are you there with friends? Are you there for work? Are you there for a short period of time? Are you there for, you know, the whole evening? Okay. I always have to say that I love the courtesy and I love what's coming up with Miracle Mm -hmm. and Orange. So Mm -hmm. I I, I just, I, I love everything local. For work, I tend to hit up the Boheme and Cress a lot because I work right downtown Orlando. Okay, and I think fair enough. Both of those are... Elevated elegant. Yes. They, and they're good. I, I think they have the right selection, okay. for especially for business people who are looking for more... Um, Looking maybe to have a quicker drink or just something in a quieter atmosphere, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, let's see. I, I love that what um, Keith and Romy are doing. I love Mathers and the Wellborn. I really think mm-hmm. I applaud them. That was coming, yep. Well, I mean, they, they've taken, I, I think what they've done in Orlando is tremendous. They've beautified mm-hmm. these spaces. And when you walk into them, you're not sure, like, what city are you in? What yeah. country are you in? And I applaud them for trying to elevate the downtown sort of scene bar scene yes mm-hmm. i always love having a drink at houston's i mean candidly it sounds like I, there's not a place that i don't like fair enough <laughs> <laughs> sounds uh, like this might yeah. be a, a problem but not no, a problem I mean, right it, you know again i try to support um people that i'm friends with yes and i am also sometimes a tad bit lazy and i work downtown and i live downtown so it is um, usually something that's kind of easy for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Where's your favorite places? My favorite places? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I do love the guest house. Oh, that's another see. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love just the guest house. Open the sunroom. Awesome. Which great. is awesome. their menu at sunroom is just like pretty expansive, mm-hmm. and I I love like the different layers and the different expressions and blah, blah, blah. So, um, Sunroom, I just had a drink called the Grasshopper, which is amazing as a dessert cocktail. So it's like mint and maybe it was, it was vodka. I'm, I'm terrible, but, um, I, love I, that I whole drank area. it very, very quickly. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, dang it. Yes. I, it was so good. Um, I really honestly love Domu. Mm-hmm. So their cocktail bar is um, phenomenal and they're are just eating there. I think Domu is my favorite restaurant probably. I have to go. I've not have been you yet. never I been? Know. I'm embarrassed. I'm Should ashamed. we pause I this right I now? I, I do. Kelly! I, I understand. It's awful. I am completely embarrassed. But here's the thing. Yeah. I know the hype. And, mm-hmm. you know, Domu is a place where I think – 
it, it's a night, like I was saying, like depending upon where what it's time an investment you have, of a t- yeah, what energy not- you have, like who you're going with. And uh-huh. Domo is one of those really special places where you're going to go and you want to, you know, it's hard to get into. Mm-hmm. You know that it's a special place. You want to savor the experience. So you need yes. the time to be able to sit there and enjoy it. And I think sometimes for, especially with work. Evening. Yeah. Yep. A lot of what I tend to do is around my job. And so that's not a place where we're going to go hunker down at. Right. But I will say that I only hear the most fantastic things. So right. hopefully next time I see you, I'll have been there. Fair enough. Or maybe we can grab a drink there sometime. I would like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that would be super fun. We can go on a date. And their ramen is just like, I mean, I go to other cities like New York and Austin and other, I just, I just can't ever find a better ramen than I found at Domo. And maybe I'm just like spoiled because. No, I think that's what's amazing. Part of like what you talk about is the food mm-hmm. scene. And I'm sure you'll go there, but people like Domu or the guys at Cadence, the mm-hmm. team at Cadence, they're elevating and putting us on the map from a culinary Nationally. perspective. And yeah. it, it is like there's places that I would take anyone from anywhere in the world. Like I would take them to Domu, even though I haven't been, I've heard. <laughs> and I would take them to Cadence. Cadence is amongst the best sushi I've ever had anywhere. And <sighs> that's the place I haven't been. Oh. Yeah. See, that is a place you need to go. I do need to go. It's it's spectacular. And they're yes. so fun. And they could live anywhere. And they've trained all over the world. Mm-hmm. And they, they have knife skills. Here. They have knife skills like that are mind-blowing. And they also do a lot with their Filipino heritage. So they mm-hmm. have like barbecues and other things. And mm-hmm. they um they could be anywhere. They could be um, chefs in major metropolitan areas like yeah. New York or L.A. And they really are trying to change the scene here, which is awesome. That feels so good, right, for our city to say, like, people are sticking around and they are investing and they're making places that are memorable. And so, like, when people move to a city, they don't move to it because they're like, oh, my gosh, like, they have a Target, right? Or they have, like, a big box store. They have an Old Navy, right? It's like moving to places that have the culture and um, – the investment in the community to make neighborhoods that are worth exploring and worth like digging into and places like East End and like we're talking about Thornton Park and College Park and and like things like Credo and stuff that is like a new experience and doing it in like a very excellent way feels encouraging. It's so encouraging. I Mm -hmm. think people want community. They want connections. They want authenticity. Mm -hmm. They don't always want chain and nothing to say bad about chains, but you know, right. again, you can go to a Target anywhere, you can go to an Outback anywhere, you can go to certain restaurants anywhere. Right. They want to go to their community and have these local joints where they know your name and it's local entrepreneurs doing it. And I can yeah. definitely say younger generations want that, but you're finding it with everyone. They want real experiences and they want to kind of connect with the people that are owning these businesses and investing yeah. in their communities and their markets. Absolutely. And that is why we're here. So I was trying to think about how I first initially met you. I know that we've known each other for several years now. And I guess the initial connection would be through Emily and then Kay, sort of. I think that's the initial. I think, you know, like, I think I knew of you because I always try to track people doing cool things in this community. Okay. I came here. (laughs) No, I came here in two, I came here in 2003 to work on, I'm sorry, 2002. I, it's all blur. But I came here in 2002 to work on then state senator Buddy Dyer's attorney general mm-hmm. race. And when I came here, candidly, I, I really wasn't a fan of Orlando. I didn't mm. live in necessarily. Where were you coming from? Miami. Miami. 
Miami. And so I was here. We for, are not Miami. No, but it, it just, it, it just wasn't where I envisioned myself. And even mm. for many years, I, I contemplated leaving. And what caused me to stay is really the people. I fell in love with the people here. I think that there's such an open-mindedness and such a willingness to engage. And mm. I was able to be a big fish in a small pond and I was able to grow a business. But I remember that late 20-something version of myself who really didn't think that this community had potential or that I would have a fun time here. Hmm. And so as I've evolved, mm-hmm. I've really wanted to stay in touch with people doing cool things. I read yeah. about it. I go out of my way to get to connect and know them. I, or I do my best to. That's it. You know, now there's more and more cool stuff going on. And plus I'm getting older, so it's harder to keep busy. <laughs> but I remember hearing about your concept and I remember thinking this was mm-hmm. super cool. Like I, I just remember thinking like this person's doing something that would again be like a big city. And again, I just, I think it was more in the periphery, but I knew what the dinner party project was. And then Emily came in, which is a mutual friend of ours who is, you know, I'm sure she'll be listening to this in London. I hope so. Yes, we'll send it to her. We'll send it to her. She's a star in it. Yes. Um, But, you know, she, I I remember her telling me like that she attended and Mm -hmm. I remember saying, how do you know about this? Like you've been here for like two minutes. Literally two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And she said she found you on Insta and I just remember the whole thing. And then she became really good friends with you. But I think Mm -hmm. that's how we first, and then I was like, oh, there she is, the dinner party project. And we connected. Yeah. I've been a big fan ever since. Yeah. So that was very early days of dinner party. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, I met Emily like two to three months after I started, which was totally crazy. And the thing about when I started, it wasn't really a business concept. It was like I was in a weird place in my life and I kind of needed a new project to look forward to and something that I can invest myself into. And um, so I was like eating and drinking around a dinner table. <laughs> that sounds like my my ultimate like dream. Um, and so when I first started, it was kind of like people that I knew or like friends of friends. So there was always kind of like one degree of separation. And then, of course, I had started social media before at like the time that I was starting. And then in a couple months, like real strangers were starting to come. Like people were like coming that I had no connection to. And I was like, huh, this is, this is really interesting and really cool. And that it's not just like people are supporting Dana's like next idea or whatever. It was like you're a stranger and you would show up at a home with seven strangers and have dinner. And so it was really cool to see Emily fresh off of kind of the plane from London to like walk in and be like, yeah, like I just found about this, like here I am to meet some like new people. And then I just visited her in London over the summer. So you make true authentic connections. You do make. Breaking some bread, having some cocktails. I know. It's like in a small setting is like unbelievable what it can accomplish. Totally nuts. It's like it has grown in, in the past five years in ways that it's just been like something that I had kind of never thought would be the case or how how it has grown and now different projects that we've been able to connect with has just been pretty um I've just been pretty grateful. Well, what I think is always interesting is that sometimes people talk about Orlando and they'll say, which you know what they say, they'll say, oh, you're from Orlando. Um, and you say, 
They go to go to Disney, and I'm like, yes, I live in Cinderella's castle. I visit, you know, all the time, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. But then you think about the global brands that have been launched from Orlando, yeah. And you think about like when Tiger Woods was here. Tiger Woods lived in Orlando. You think about what Dwight Howard could be, or you mm. think about the Golf Channel. You think about the Daytona 500. You think about the athletes. And mm-hmm. Orlando is a really great place to launch a business. And when you said, yeah. like, look, you started here, and you've been what we were just talking about this a second ago. You've been to New York. You've been to Austin. You've been to multiple other cities doing the dinner party project in places where, again, you didn't maybe know anyone, but because people found out about you or liked the idea or concept, they were able to implement it into their community. So it was kind of cool. Thank you. Yeah. And it's even cool to see like brands like Corksicle and Mm -hmm. Rifle Paper Company going to like New Zealand and walking into a stationery shop and there's Rifle. I know. And then going to Toronto and there's Corksicle on the shelves and you're just like, so much pride right within the brands also that have come like out of out of this city well and there's well. a lot of great female entrepreneurs that are coming out of our city mm-hmm. and there's a lot of um it's exciting i was telling you i bought you a candle today from the oh my goodness artifact artifact thank you yeah got you and, you know which is a great female owned business in mm-hmm. Thornton Park and then you could go to like the paper goat which is the two sisters which is fantastic in Ivanhoe or you go to the heavy which has strong naked female. bar soap and yep. college park yeah so it, it's great I think our city and you you as well our city is really open to small businesses and is really open to diversity mm-hmm. and it allows for a very eclectic business community. Sure. And knowing that you really have to support those small businesses to keep them going. There you go. So something that I am really excited about is story. And, you know, there's kind of so much that shapes us and we don't get to choose where we're placed in the world. Um, I feel like I won the birth lottery in the family that I was raised in and the places and the privileges that I have. And so I don't take that ever for granted or lightly. Um, and there's so much kind of that's out of our control with with the ways that we grew up and the family of origin that we were placed in and the place in the world that we're placed in. Um, but it's, I think, fascinating to know kind of like what was the shapers as far as like you growing up in your family? Like what what did that feel like? What was that experience like? What was who like where did you grow up? Who were your parents? Where were you in the birth order? Like where did Kelly kind of start? I think that, um, I think a lot of people have asked that question, including my husband, like, where did you come from? Like literally every day, like what is happening right now? You know, it's interesting because I'm not sure I would say I am similar to many people in my family. I love them a lot and Mm -hmm. they're, we're very close and they're wonderful people, but I'm very different. So when you look at it, um, I grew, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, but I grew up in South Florida in Weston, which is not even Weston, Cooper City area, which is near okay. the Everglades. Okay. It was one of those communities that probably Carl Hyacin would talk about for paving over nature. And my grandfather was a very big entrepreneur and an incredible family guy. And he had businesses that my, my dad and my uncles worked at. Okay. But I was a person who, um, was really focused on school growing up, really like wanting to get good grades. I always had fun. I certainly got into my fair share of trouble, but I always knew that there was going to be something more. Hmm. I was very disciplined. I wanted to, I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to be a businesswoman. I wasn't sure what, from a very early age, I just knew that I was going to do something 
different. Did you have siblings? I do. I have a younger sister. Okay. And she's Are you the oldest? I am the oldest. You are the oldest. So I have, um, let's see. We're a couple of years apart, and I have two gorgeous a niece and nephew. Mm-hmm. My best. sister, which is funny, my youngest sister, she was um, she was the um, girl who watched Princess Diana wedding and wanted the huge wedding dress, and I was a girl who was convinced that she was never going to get married from an early not convinced just wasn't terribly interested in it sure so yeah it was it was a really a interesting yeah it was just a really interesting dynamic we grew up in a community that is uh it's it was suburbia all the way okay. like about 30 minutes outside of fort lauderdale and it was it, it was great though it was very idyllic in mm. the sense that it was really family friendly and um I still know people from that time in my life and mm-hmm. still really good friends. Some of them actually live up here. A cool story is ah. my friend Karen, who lived down the street from me. Her daughter is now 16 and wants to be a political activist. So we spend a lot of time together. She volunteers on tons of campaigns. <laughs> but it was really, we were able to like do those things where you could walk around the streets and not be scared and have mm-hmm. shaving cream fights at Halloween. And everyone kind of went to different a lot of the same schools together and you sure. grew up together and we had an incredible community and we had a lot of fun and we felt very safe and yeah. it was it, it was a really nice time in our life and so I think as it goes like you know if you're asking about how our family was kind of there family dynamics how yeah. were your parents like were they my parents were high school sweethearts and they um or they met in high school and they, neither one had graduated from college. They both had dealt with family business. Uh-huh. So both of them had just really worked on the family business. And so it wasn't like they were, were they pushing you to? No. Right. But you kind of had this drive to knowing that you wanted to maybe have something that was bigger than your suburbia. Yeah, I did. Right. I mean, I did pretty well in school. And I also had a friend who is still one of my best friends today. And her family was really focused on her grades in school. And her mm-hmm. dad was a pediatrician. So we spent so much time that I always tell her, I think we, we go back and forth. You know, hindsight is everything. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, I think your family had a great impact on me. And she'll just say, you were like, you were dis- you you were stubborn from the beginning, and this is what you were gonna do. <laughs> but you know, I the back trajectory then, started early. Well, and you also like you know now you have all the different ways to learn about colleges and career opportunities and things. Mm-hmm. Back then, you didn't like you were just you kind of knew what you saw in front of you. Sure. And so, no, I, I think no one at that point in my family, no one ever had gone to college. What? Yeah. My aunt, my dad's sister did, but she lived in California and I didn't know her very well, but I loved her and we went on one big trip, but no, no one in my family pushed that. But that was something that you found like was going to be your path? I just really liked school. Yeah. I really liked learning. What was Kelly like in like middle school, high school? Oh, goodness Were you like class president? I mean, like, come on. I think, no, I wasn't. I was like horribly awkward and gawky and, um, oh no, definitely true. And I had huge, big, like. You didn't like hold court? No. Like you do now? (laughs) No. You know, it's so funny. It's like, it's like, I was so, um, shy. And amongst my friends, I was the person that you see now, but it wasn't, I was, I like to say I was a late bloomer. 
Okay. I, I yeah. did not really, I think, Fair come enough. into my own until my late 20s. Mm. My my early 20s, I'm sorry. My friends all knew me in a way that was like really outgoing and kind of a person who was like unabashedly, I think, bold. But I was um, incredibly shy growing up. And I had like an incredible oh, fear really? of speaking, which I still have. Public speaking still makes me really nervous. But um, hmm. yeah, so it's been, a, I, I think, the evolution which is what I tell people all right. the time, like who you are when you're younger, who you are in your 20s or 30s can just change. Like if you, first of all, yeah. you just change as a person and evolve as a person. But if you also put yourself in different circumstances, it allows yeah. change. I went to, I was just talking about how, um, how secure and lovely growing up was, but I went to University of Maryland for undergrad. Oh, and okay. I went to a state school that was ginormous. And I what, didn't, which made you choose that? That's I'll kind say, of a random selection. It was completely but, random. Right. Um, but I just went there and I didn't know one person. And I attribute that experience to who I am today. My friend that I was telling you about, she went to University of Pennsylvania. She was smarter than me and she got into <laughs> Ivy League. And I thought I'd be close to her. And I like was like, oh, this will be near D.C. or maybe I can go here. Mm-hmm. It was not... Um, incredibly strategic to be honest with you <laughs> <laughs> I was just like I'm gonna go here and you know I you know hindsight I think about the fact that we had to pay out of state tuition and my parents right. should have been like no you got into University of Florida you're going but I just thought at that time which I apologize to every Gator fan I just thought Florida was too much of a safe school and I felt like so many people back then it was ah. and so you know it was not nearly as hard to get into as it is now. Now it's impossible. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like I would know so many people there and it would be like a continuation of high Did school. Did you just want a fresh start? I just wanted a challenge. I wanted, I, I mm. also really thought at that time that Florida wasn't going to be my forever home. I thought that the Northeast was going to be a place where mm. I would thrive more. Did you have interest in politics even in starting, starting around college years? I, w- I was always interested in politics, but I didn't do anything with it until after law school, which is really, I mean, I was right. literally right outside of DC and I didn't do much in it. I, gra- I, I graduated with a degree in government and politics and I, gra- I wrote a thesis and I did all of these things. Okay. And I did some stuff, but I didn't really maximize the opportunity because I think I didn't realize that there was such an opportunity and no one, I'd never seen People do that. I didn't okay. know about, and again, I maybe could have taken the opportunity to do it, but mm-hmm. I just didn't fundamentally understand yeah. how important it would be. And I think we had a lot less awareness and access without social media. Ooh. So like now you can access, we have computers in our hands at all times, right? But before 1996, there wasn't widespread access to the internet on like a personal level. No. So only kind of knowing your surroundings and being in your surroundings and like hearing from other people would be the information that you had access to. Yeah. And I just thought getting good grades was important. Mm. And so I did. I got like I graduated with double honors from University of Maryland. I just didn't take advantage because no one in my family had ever taken advantage. None of my friends were really taking advantage of it. So I just, I guess. Do you love learning? I do love learning. You do love learning. I have a, I think that's like one thing that motivates me is I have a fear mm. of becoming stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's true. Well, it's just, I, I, well, I'm a lifelong learner. I, I, I always mm-hmm. want to learn something. I think it's really important. Life would be so, for me personally, it would be incredibly right. boring if I wasn't learning something new or seeing something new or meeting someone, something new or, you know, yeah. I'm very open to having conversations with people I disagree with. And sometimes, um, 
I, although again, my husband might say differently, <laughs> right. but Scott, as you know, <laughs> but I mean, you can learn something from anything. Mm-hmm. And so I, yes, I love to learn. I was like, I really loved school. It was like, it was fantastic. I had no issue. Yeah. Like I was a person who would tell my teacher that I wasn't going to be in for class today. And they would be like, yeah, um, it's not required attendance, Kelly. Like, <laughs> well, just in case you miss me, I just want you to know that I'm not going to be there today. Um, was college a time that you felt like, so you were obviously very, very dedicated to your schoolwork, but like, were you also more engaged in like the social atmosphere or like party? Like you yeah. said, you got a lot of gin and tonics in college. Yes, like, yes, like, did, yes. were you coming more into the social sphere? Of- yeah. I mean, I've always, like, I think that the more that I put myself, I always had a small social circle, like mm-hmm. at the, where I grew up when I was staying in high school, like I had two or three best friends and we were, we were best friends from middle school on. So we really didn't need much, much. more than each other. So we were very, mm. very close to each other. We remained close. As I said, mm. college kind of put me in this experience where I was like really a fish out of water and I had to figure out. And I don't think it, it took me a minute to fit in there. I don't think it was easy for me to fit in, but I think it, I was very, I even said to myself at the time, like, this isn't, you know, the first couple of years were a little challenging. I was in a sorority and I remained in a sorority and I loved the girls uh-huh. that were there. Yeah. That's I mean, I wasn't the political. typical, <laughs> I wasn't the typical, you know, sorority girl, but we, what, you know, um, sorority were in, it was called a Okay. Um, but it was, um, but I made some really great friends there. I, again, the school was huge and I did not know one person. Mm-hmm. I never lived, didn't have any relatives in the Northeast, didn't know anything about the Northeast, didn't know anything about anything. And How so, was winter for the winter first time? Was t- it was horrible. It's just like probably when people right. come here for like Florida summers. It was just, it was paralyzing. Mm-hmm. It was like, what is happening? I remember even like understanding that like the air conditioning doesn't work all the time because at a certain point mm-hmm. in the older buildings that heat would just be like, they turn on the heat at a certain time and mm-hmm. the air at a certain time. So it was like, you wouldn't always have air. You wouldn't always have heat. Oh yeah. Right. Well, because like if it wasn't, so like, let's say you happen to be cold in September, mm-hmm. like the heat wasn't going to actually work until October. You know, it was just, it was just kind of funny. So all the things, Florida has so many new Did, homes and everything's relatively yeah. new, especially things South Things we Florida. don't think about. Yeah. Right. Like we, Shoving, uh, scraping ice off of yeah. our cars or letting our cars warm up for like five minutes. Or having like <laughs> um, air conditioning that's within your house versus the window units. Mm-hmm. You know, that is something like, I was like, what do you mean that there's a window right. unit? But I think it was like, it was such a formative part of my life because I was forced to do so many new things and I was Mm. forced to survive. There was no one there to take care of me. Right. And I mean, again, this wasn't like I was like in a dangerous place or something of that nature, but I was put into a dynamic and socially you're learning a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people like if, if you spent any time in the Northeast, they'll be like, Oh, you know, do you know this person from this town or do you know this person or this person or this person? And so that it was very Northeastern school. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't part of that sort of world. And so I was very much an outsider. And when they would say to me, oh, you're from Florida? Because they don't say Florida. They say Florida. They would say, oh, my grandma lives there. And I would be like, mm-hmm. yeah, we hang out. You know, like <laughs> we're just about I'm 18 and we go and we hang out and whatever it might be. But I always say it was like through that, like you you had to make a decision. You could either kind of be in a shell and just kind of like have a couple friends or really try to push yourself to do different things. And I made great friends and I was mm-hmm. super social and I had tons of fun. 
and I would go and I would do and I experience and I would go yeah. places by myself. And I, you know, like that was the first time I had ever done that because no one in my family, especially women did not do that. And so I'd mm. go into like DC by myself and I yeah. feel like so mature because I'd like take the Metro there. I take a bus there mm-hmm. and I think I'm just, I'm a grown up. And so I think that that experience into yourself. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think like not being coddled and just kind of being mm. like sink or swim sister, figure it out. And I think that... And that was who you are, though. Yeah. Right. I, I probably would have known that if I would have gone to a place with more familiar faces mm-hmm. or closer to home. Pushing because, you yeah, outside of your comfort zone, but then you're like, I can handle this. I can be ingratiated. Mm-hmm. I can I can stand on my own two feet yep. in it completely. It, it is hard to start over somewhere where you have no connections or you know nobody well especially when everyone's young and sometimes there's some mean people like we were talking about like moving to a city where you like you don't know anyway it's like how do you start you know like especially if you're not in a college situation but like really starting over and putting yourself out there yeah and And again before social media i think mm -hmm. now like we're talking about like you could find groups or things it's still i I still think it's hard i I can't it's one of the things like i I have a list i feel like everyone should be able to do certain things on their own Mm. in particular women and a lot of women have issues going places by themselves and i'm always taken aback by that Mm -hmm. like i've you know and again teach their own like honestly i I, i'm not gonna hate on anyone because i strongly believe you should do what makes you feel happy and comfortable Mm -hmm. but I also think there's something very rewarding and fulfilling and be able to go to a place on your yeah. own and have an experience on your own, mm-hmm. whether it's go out to eat on your own or go have yeah. a drink on your own or go to a movie on your own. And the insane or reality is that there's places in the world where like women don't have that freedom. Oh, I know. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Welcome House. The Welcome House is an Airbnb in Orlando, Florida that loves to host people in small gatherings. It's got everything you need to relax and entertain, including your own private entrance to the spacious room with its own full bathroom and living room area. It also includes access to the large pool and an outdoor dining area. This spot is perfect to restore and renew. And if you're coming into town for the attractions, they are only 20 minutes away. And you can also get to the beach in under an hour. So if you are looking for a staycation or coming to enjoy all that Orlando has to offer, the Welcome House is your perfect place to stay. Just search the Welcome House on Airbnb. Where, like, women don't have that freedom. Oh, I know. And we, like, can't fathom that. And so, thankfully, people are fighting for that freedom, but just having a male-dominant oppressive society is still happening today, right? Where they can't go out with their brother or their husband. And like, we have the complete authority to do whatever we want, like as women and go wherever we want. Well, you think about it, you know, everyone can have their bad days, right? And we all have our bad days in life. And it, it is, but you know, one of the things I think how much worse of a day is it for the women who don't have the ability to own a business or start mm-hmm. a business or where get an education want. or drive a car or wear what you want? And I think like yeah. the basic fundamental rights that we have here and they are under assault and there is a lot of things that we need to do as women sure. to defend them. But mm-hmm. we still are quite fortunate to live in this country and quite fortunate. I mean, you and I are fortunate right now Nods are to sit nuts. here very sit here, be able to have cocktails. You're able to have multiple businesses or do what you want. I'm Mm -hmm. able to do what I want. And so I think about that a lot because I've met some women who don't have that luxury and would give anything to have it. Yeah. I agree with you. It's so, so, um, 
2020 obviously is next year, which is the hundred year of, of women being able to even vote. Um, so what a beautiful progression within the, within a hundred years. But I mean, there's so many places in the, in the world that are stuck, you know, still a hundred years um, back, which is pretty crazy. Um, so one thing that is pretty great is that we, we are placed in different places within the world, within family of origins, like how we have been set up in the world. With that, we get to kind of take that. And as we grow into ourselves and into our adult worlds and adult lives, um, and make, make our own space, make our own place and do thankfully kind of what we want, um, especially as women. But, um, one thing that, I'm always kind of fascinated by it, like within the adult world is um, things that we've shaped or things that we've done or things that we've had to go through that have have also shaped us um, along kind of our, our our path and our story. So has there ever been a time that um, kind of in your, in your adult world that you felt like was uh, like a, uh, a hurdle or uh, something happened that was kind of like pretty devastating or anything that was like, I have been through the fire and I came out the other end and I have kind of like survived that. And then like, how did you do that or handle that? Well, I think, you know, I worked my life to be a lawyer and when I was practicing law, I wasn't sure it was the right fit. Hmm. And I moved, I, I met a state senator just as a sidebar who's running for attorney general. As okay. I said, it was Senator Buddy Dyer. <laughs> met him in 2001. My favorite part of the interview was I was so nervous to meet him. I threw my knife across the restaurant. It was a true Julia Roberts pretty woman. Okay. When I was cutting my food, I just randomly threw a knife across the restaurant. So it was a very, <laughs> so I, I, yes. So I, I recovered from that. Right. But I moved and to. He still hired you. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> And what the other funny part, which I've told this story a fair, fair amount of time, at the end of the interview, he asked me, is there anything about you that I don't know that I should? And I think the stage answer at that time was, I'm a perfectionist, I'm harder on myself than you could ever be. But I instead grabbed his hand and looked him in the eyes and I said, yes, Senator, I'm an excellent dancer. And that's not necessarily the case, but nonetheless, he gave me the job. Okay. So, I would say I did not. We could do a whole thing on interesting interview techniques, and that would be a whole different conversation. <laughs> Throwing knives. Throwing knives and saying you're an excellent dancer right. gets you a job. But, um, you know, when I when I came here, you know, I left a job with student loans and things, and I, I became – moved to Orlando. I did not have a friend. I did not know a person. Mm. I started a job is um, – in the and you world moved of, here for that? Yeah. Okay. I, in 2002, March of 2002. Right. I did not, I took a job in um, campaigns. I never worked on a campaign. I had never met an elected official. Mm-hmm. I never raised money. I had never done any of these things. So wow. coming there and I really at that time, again, putting yourself in a different space and environment uh, for 10 months worked incredibly hard and found that I had a real passion for people. I had a real passion for strategy. I really enjoyed the political space, but Mm. I also liked policy and again, the strategy behind it. But we worked and in November of 2002, we lost. Mm. And I remember, uh, you know where the embassy suites is. Mm -hmm. And so I remember we were sitting there and 
he lost. He had to call his opponent and concede. And I said, I was going to go get, I'm like, I'm going to go get wine. And I got wine. And then, you know, the embassy suites, you know, that dip area mm-hmm. that is there. I went down mm-hmm. there and I cried hysterically because mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. this was going to be like, I found something that I love and what yeah. are we going to do? And I cared mm-hmm. so much about their family. And it was such a wonderful experience. It was hard and tough and interesting and but emotional. But you kind of loved that. I loved it. I found right. something that I thought that I could do, which... Yeah. Again, many years I am doing, but I remember that moment thinking, what is my life going to be like? And I was sitting literally by a dumpster, drinking wine, hysterically <laughs> crying. So, These are the stories yeah. that people need to know. And so that night I always say about um, Mayor Dyers that he, he lost that night and mm-hmm. we stayed up till four in the morning, a whole group of people. Uh, and just telling stories because when you run a statewide campaign, it's it's ridiculous it's just funny and emotional mm-hmm. and tough and it, it just there's a lot of great stories that come so from sorry it. he was running for senator he was running for attorney general attorney that general yeah okay. he doesn't got it but you know again something happened he thought after he lost he thought maybe he's going to go do senate he was trying to figure out what he was going to do i was trying to figure out what i was going to do mm-hmm. and that mayor's job was open and it had been an open seat. It was in 2003. Okay. He lost in November of 2002. And the seat, the election was in February of 2003, January, February. Oh, wow. So it was a really quick turnaround. Right. And people started saying to him, you know, you should run for mayor. And and this is when Glenda Hood was... Yeah, she got appointed to Secretary of State. Right. And so the seat, and there had been people like... Tico Perez and Wayne Rich, and there were about 10 people that were running for Bill Sublette that were running for mayor at that time. Ah. And a lot of people started saying to Buddy, you know, you've been our state senator, you just ran this campaign, Mm -hmm. you know, you should have lost. Why don't you run for mayor? And so he said to me, he was thinking about running to mayor, and I, in my great wisdom, said, that's a really stupid idea. Yes, I will never take credit for him running for mayor. And it's just because I've not been exposed to big mayors and I didn't fully understand the opportunities that came with it. Okay. And so he, because it was such a quick turnaround, him and his family asked me to come on and be his fundraiser. And Were they living in Orlando? Yeah. Okay. So Buddy was born in Osceola County and okay. they were living in College Park. And they asked me to be the fundraiser because it's a quick turnaround. The election was in February and so they we had already had a couple months. Had so, the yeah. And so we di- I I decided to come here and do that race with him mm-hmm. and he won mm-hmm. and I've never left. But you want to talk about from the lowest of lows, mm. like losing a race right. and then the highest of highs winning the race. It was it was really um an interesting time because That's if a you ride. would have lost Yeah, I mean think about what life would be like that the, the person who ran against him in 2003 was just a different he was more part of the older Orlando infrastructure okay and so when you think about that particular election and what it could be maybe Orlando wouldn't be what it is today sure but for that particular election but again when we lost I just couldn't see I was like do I have to go pretty crushed like what are you going to do I mean when you work on those campaigns Hmm. you get like two to four hours of sleep per night and you're traveling the statewide campaigns. You're traveling constantly. I, yeah. And so it was a real crushing defeat, mm-hmm. which ultimately ended up being one of the best things that I think happened for him personally and really for the city, all the stuff sure. that we were talking about. Yeah. So that's, a, I think, a really good example of where you think you're completely down and out mm-hmm. and then life gives you some twists and, and surprises. Kept, and then you kept on going. That's Yeah, yeah that's pretty incredible. 
Has there been a moment um, personally or professionally that you felt like you've stepped back with a lot of pride in and say like, I've worked really hard and I'm really proud like in this moment that I get to like be a part of this or I have accomplished this or like. There's been so many moments. I I feel really fortunate to be able to do what I do. Mm -hmm. We, um, you know, I started the Southern Strategy Group, which is now called the Southern Group. Um, but I started it in, I, I was asked to start it and I started it in 2005. Okay. And it's a all Republican firm and I'm only a Democrat. I'm the only Democrat. And it was a firm that, um, gave me an opportunity to create a new business model. And okay. it was people focusing on government relations and political issues at local levels. And the people that recruited me were, um, like a former Speaker of the House, John Thrasher, who is now the president of FSU. Okay. And I remember that opportunity of getting that job and these people that were so well-established within the political and policy world, and they wanted me. And I remember thinking, this is crazy. I always tell the story when um, I met with them, they said, can you put together a P&L? Said, <laughs> Indeed, yes, I will totally do that. And then I had to go research Fear. what a P&L was. <laughs> Because I was a litigate. I mean, I, I only practiced law for a couple of years. And so right. I had to really figure that out. But, you know, building a business or I'm really proud to sit on some of the boards that I get to sit on. I'm on, like on the Orlando Economic Partnership Board and mm-hmm. I get to sit there amongst like presidents of universities and um, presidents of Disney and other places and be an equal which there, which is really yeah. impressive. I'm, I'm proud of some of the work that I've done in Paramore. You know, I think continuing to support organizations there. Like when I I go there and just the fact that um, bringing attention and awareness to those sorts of things. So Mm -hmm. I'm proud to work with groups like Tavistock. You know, when you think about what they're trying to do in Medical City, Mm -hmm. it is I've been part of their journey the entire time, along with soccer, which is fond of our heart. I mean, I've been, so I look at, you know, when I'm sitting there with these CEOs Mm -hmm. or I'm sitting there with companies and they're making a decision to hire me to help advise them, to help strategize with them, to work with them to meet their goals. Every moment, I, I always take a step back and go, wow. I get because, to be here. Well, I get to be here. And wow, yeah. that they trust me enough to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, you know, some of the policy things are getting these projects moving forward is complex and hard. And you have to have a level of trust because it is strategy and how you build cases for them or you mm-hmm. do these projects. And so I always feel um, wow about a lot of things. I feel wow when I get to meet fancy people. I, I just, I, I try to keep an attitude of wow mm-hmm. and never lose that sort of, um, never become jaded. I, I try sure. really hard not to lose perspective on how fortunate I am. I work really hard and I put myself out there quite a bit, but there's still moments when you're like, holy cow, that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love, um, were you at JVN this weekend? The what? Um, Jonathan Venice. I missed it. You missed it. Okay. Was it good? It was fantastic. Um, but he was kind of talking about how he's kind of like in a constant state of shock. And I was, and I'm like, one, I, one, that would make sense because of all the opportunities that he has had, but always kind of staying in that place of wonderment of like, I get to like operate in these places and how important it is to, um, always feel 
like grace, grace, grateful to be at the positions that we have been placed in. And we get to work really hard to be within those and to grow and to make all the connections. But still we have had a lot of support, I think, to like get to those places, which is, I was going to find one of my quotes that I mean, incredible from that someone's, it's one of my favorites, although it's going to take me a minute to find it, but it's by Shonda Rhimes. Shonda Rhimes, that is a very accomplished woman. You know, um, I'm just trying to find it. Let's see. It's going to, okay. Yeah. So, you know, I think what's interesting is I think you do have to feel grateful all the time. Mm -hmm. I think you have to feel fortunate and I think you should never become jaded and I think you should never take anything entitled, right? Or say like, yeah. But I think women, since we're both with them, I think sometimes we, um, we will say things like we're lucky. And we'll say mm. things like, you know, like it's not that something happened and it's not necessarily because of us. And I've always loved this quote from Shonda Rhimes. And yeah. I think it's a great balance between being grateful, but also owning your power and what you do. Sure. And the quote is, I'm not lucky. You know what I am? I'm smart. I'm talented. I take advantage of the opportunities that come my way and I work really hard. Don't call me lucky. Call me a badass. <laughs> and it's literally what I believe. Yeah. I think like there's, you know, there's certain things about being in the right place and the right time. And I think a lot of those things are lucky. Like we didn't choose that. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I so agree. we get to, to work with what we've been given. And then as we grow into adults, we get to grow into who we want to be. We get to shape that mm-hmm. more so. But also I think there is, for me, I do feel lucky in some of those ways that I was set up for success. Mm-hmm. Because not everyone is placed in those places in the I think world. It's, it's okay to feel lucky. I think it's okay. Like, again, I don't ever want to lose my sense of wonder. I think it's important. I think it keeps you young. I think it keeps you fresh. I think it gives you great perspective. But you should never know, especially women, should never diminish how they got somewhere. Mm. You might have been yeah. lucky where you were, but you worked really hard. We were just talking about before yeah. this podcast how much work goes into what you do. And it's a lot. And so owning the fact that you work really hard and that it was an idea and that you're smart and that you're talented and that it's not that you deserve this, but because of your hard work, you've gotten this result. And I think that's kind of with women, sometimes we downplay it and we don't, we don't own our success and Mm -hmm. we don't say, we say, oh, we're lucky or we're fortunate or, you know, this person was really helpful. And I think in the end of the day, we have to have some real Ownership. Pride. Ownership yes. and pride of it. Like, I did this. And look, all of us want to grow. And Well, many of us want to continue to grow. And so you can say, I'm proud, but there's still more work I need to do. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, I'm proud, but I'm having these issues. But I just find women sometimes try to minimize what they've accomplished because the world kind of says, don't be, don't be, uh, don't brag. Sure. Don't be bold like that. Right. And so that's where I think it's a, like a really dicey yeah. sort of dynamic. Ooh, you got excited yeah, about I know. something. <laughs> Well, that's kind of kind of what we're going into, uh, which is our next subject, which is the Enneagram, yes. which is one of my favorite things. And I know that you're kind of like dipping your toe into that. Um, and so we kind of talked a little bit about, uh, so if you don't know what the Enneagram, it's kind of like a, a personality, a friend of mine called it like a personality roadmap. And um, 
So I have a degree in psychology with substance abuse counseling minor. Who knew? See, I learned something new today. I wanted to be a counselor. Well, I think probably at your dinner parties you are. I well, I love story, right? Like I love, and so I, I I I got that degree, and then I was thinking about going on to get my master's, and I was like. I don't know that I can like see myself like sitting in a room for eight hours a day. And like, I love, I love places that people can have the freedom to like tell their story. And I think when you say things out loud, it brings a lot of like truth and validity and it releases a lot of stuff from darkness, you Mm -hmm. know, just, just not having that in like isolation, but like you being, bringing your story to the world and to the table Anyway, so I didn't, I didn't like not go to mass to, to get my master's because I, th- I thought I would start dinner parties. But I think that I've always been fascinated with like how um, I think that we're all innately created very differently. And so like someone could could see one situation and they could two people could look at the same situation and they could come away with very different oh. outcomes <clears throat> from the same thing. And that always kind of like really intrigued me. And then I also think like stories and what we have done with what we've been given has also really intrigued me. So I love, I love this space of like sharing story and talking with drinks and with food and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the Enneagram has been very, I think like powerful for me because I've always been intrigued by like personality things and, um, you know, disc assessment and Myers-Briggs and all those things. And so Enneagram has felt like a roadmap that was maybe a little bit more holistic to to kind of help figure out um, what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are when we're healthy. What does that look like when we get unhealth or stressed out? What does that look like? Kind of like the some of the things to look out for. Um, so Enneagram has nine different personalities that you can kind of like maybe more so identify with or not. And the number that you would probably connect with, which is the one that I, I was like, there's probably two that I thought you would kind of land within, but, um, the one that you would probably think that you would identify with would be the number. Oh, I'd have, well, I know what I, cause I took the test. Okay. So I actually know what I am. So it's, um, I read it. I'm number eight. You're number eight. Yes. yes. I'm number eight. And, you know, I think I looked at that one and then you know, it's funny because you look at it mm-hmm. and I, I knew what the, the, I knew what it was, but I had never done the test. Okay. And so when you sent me the descriptions and I'd, I'd have to pull it up right now to right. go look at it, you know, I think your ego gets in the way of like what you think you should be or how you perceive yourself. Mm-hmm. And I was talking um, with my <laughs> husband about it. I said like, well, how do you perceive me? And I always think it's interesting to hear how people perceive you versus how you perceive yeah. yourself. Yeah. And so I was doing the questions. I got yeah. stuck a couple of times because I was like, is this how I think? And I, I remember in the instructions it's just they're trying to say this is how it is but I was like if someone else took this test for me would they think this about me or what it would be but yeah. yes I was um and they I was pretty high in the number eight number eight yep uh number eight is the challenger so I am an eight as well okay. so is Cole and so people I think that can see a vision beyond what is currently and have the ability to press forward and to help encourage other people to see life could be this way. And so inviting people like into that story and painting that vision and then knowing how to accomplish it. And so 
when I was like, so I took the test and I tested as a seven, which is the enthusiast. And the enthusiast is, they want to be everywhere at, at all times. They want to like be, um, the, you know, FOMO. They don't want to miss out on anything. They just like want to be. So I think that you're an eight wing seven because I love that you have such a passion to be out and experience all the things and you love traveling and like you just want to know. I always think that I'm an interesting bird in that way because I'm definitely, um, I love being out, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, I don't know if it's the extrovert, introvert or whatever it may be. I literally don't have FOMO. And mm. so I'm this person who, for, and many of my friends will tell you this, is that I know, like, I, I require a significant amount of time alone, which mm-hmm. people are always shocked to learn because I think the perception and probably how I Is that you're going my, 24-7? And I am. I mean, I do go 24-7. Right. I mean, sometimes I work 16-hour days. I have something um, every night or at working with clients. But I also require a very significant amount of alone time, and I mm. love alone time. And when I was growing out, growing up, or even when I was in college, if there's something I didn't want to go to, I was very comfortable saying, I'm not going to go. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, clearly there's times where you wanted to go to something and you were concerned that you were going to miss out. I'm not saying I'm not human <laughs> right. in any way or form, or no one likes to feel left out of anything, right? That's the worst of the worst is when like everyone's doing something and you're not included right. and you're like, wait, what about what me? What about me? But I always think that there's like, I was looking at the seven mm-hmm. and I am incredibly social and I love people and I do love new experiences and connecting. Mm-hmm. It's important to me. And I, but on the other side, and I know each one of these characteristics is a little bit different. I was trying to figure out, like, I can definitely live a very comfortable life alone mm-hmm. and really thoroughly enjoy it. Sure. Which is, again, when I tell people that for those that think that they know me, they, they're always surprised by the, that yeah. fact. They're like, are you ever alone? I'm like, probably more than you realize. And I think that we're like, we are on this, every, every number kind of is on the spectrum between introvert and extrovert. And I think that that is something that it's kind of like the motivator of like, I think that you have that curiosity to like want to be, you do, you're, you are out a lot and you definitely have time to be by yourself a lot, but you do have the passion to like know what's happening in your city to like want to be able to be engaged with those to actually go do those things like your level of energy you recoup that like you said like being able to have a lot of alone time but that you also like you do have a lot of energy between your job which is a lot and then being out in all the myriad of things that you support and being out like in the community well it makes I just find it makes your life better I just find like you know it's easy and look I don't have kids. And mm-hmm. so I think that's a very different challenge when you sure. um, have are raising a family. And I think that sometimes you don't have the luxury of choice when you're raising a family because you have to, after school activities, sports activities, hobbies, whatever it may be. Yeah. And you're trying dinner to balance the table. dinner on the table, <laughs> right. all those sorts of things. But for me, my husband and I made a decision not to have kids. Mm. And in doing that, that does give us time to yeah. explore other things. And I, I feel that it makes your life better if you're out there connecting with your community and you're experiencing new things and you're doing new things. And I also really think it's brave to open a business. And so I, it's always a funny thing. Whenever like I find out a new restaurant or a new store and if I can get there, I'll like order half the menu mm-hmm. and my, like I, I can't eat it all. Or like when I went to the candle place the other day that uh-huh. I was telling you, <laughs> right. artifact, I bought like 10 candles and it's like, I just wanted to go support because I, I, it's such 
a bold statement to do that. And so yeah. I want, you know, generally I, I want most people to be successful. To and thrive. so I, I do. I yeah. think that the more people thrive, the better off it is for your block, it, the better off it is for your neighborhood, the better mm-hmm. off it is for your community. So if everyone can help uplift each other, it's better. And so again, you and I were talking about this. When people become isolated and lonely, mm-hmm. I think it's really unhealthy. And so for me, I always just try to make sure that, um, I'm out there, that I'm including others out there mm-hmm. with me having these experiences because it makes where you live more fun. It makes everything more fun. Absolutely. And the opportunities that come from it, you never mm-hmm. know, right? Like if Emily didn't look up at you on Instagram, <laughs> you, the, the person who was at the beginning of this conversation, you um, and you guys have become great friends. And she exposed many of us even more to what you're doing. And it's mm-hmm. like the more that you put yourself out there, the more that comes from it, the more opportunity that comes from it, the more mm-hmm. random happenstance that occurs. Yeah. And it's just better. But I think going back to the eight part, which is the challenger, and they're kind of like very decisive. They're, they can be very bold. They can be very confrontational. Um, I think for me, learning that as a female eight, right? And so being being able to say like, yeah, I deserve a place at the table. I'm not apologetic about it. I'm not going to be like a bitch about it. But like you being around the table and saying like, if I can be bold and a man can be bold, like don't don't like interpret those as two different um, interactions or two different presences or personalities. Like I can bring as much to the table and being, being, having the fortitude, I think to be assertive and to be to like a woman leading in a man's world, right? Like we're getting, we're progressing. There's a long way to go, but there's, I think in the ways that we, I think intrinsically are created can be very different, right? And so we we need all the different personalities to have a thriving community. We need the creative artists. We need the people that are introspective and we need the people that can like get us in touch with our emotions, you know, like, but the eight is like something that's, that can be for a female eight. Um, I think something that can be interpreted, 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 interpreted as something that's... We've only had one drink. We've only had one, one drink. drink so when is the next good. one? I'm ready. <laughs> but can be interpreted as something that's a little bit um, intimidating. And so that's like what people have told me my whole life. And I couldn't really ever understand like just because I'm like direct and because I can like voice something or like if you tell me something that I don't agree with, like respectfully, I can challenge it back, Right. And so I think that's, it's an interesting place to be able to be in a place of leadership and for you having the position that you do to speak into that and to speak into other women to say like, if this is, if this is who you are, like, please don't be afraid of that or don't shy away from it. Like you can lead within like your full potential as a woman and it's okay to like challenge back the system and to lead the way with vision. I think that's the beauty of the eight, like an eight. So an eight, three or one are very similar. The eight is the challenger. The three is the achiever. So like whatever the goal is, I'm going to crush it. doesn't matter. I want to, I want to be, so I thought you were a three or an eight. I want to achieve no matter what it is. The one is the reformer, which is they want to see a system and they want to come in and they want to like reorganize. So like, let's say the hotel system. So if you're an eight, 
you're an Airbnb, you're doing something brand new, you're doing something that the world has never like understood or done before. If you are a one, you maybe want to come inside of a Hilton and you want to reorg and you want to make them more efficient and you want to like make their profits go up. You want to make their organizational levels go up, but you're not reinventing the wheel. The eight is saying like, I want to bring you like Cole, like I want to bring you (laughs) into these places that you may have not imagined before, but our life is going to be better because we have somebody that's like being the Uber, being, being, being Airbnb, being the people that like, you're going to get into a car with somebody that you don't know. You're going to pay the money to drive you somewhere and drop you off. Who said that that would be a good idea, right? But they did it. And then now we can't live without it, right? So I just like, it's it's great. I to- think it's interesting as women with confrontation or generally confrontation because confrontation seen as such a bas- bad word. Mm-hmm. And for me, what I've learned is it's know your audience and how do you confront something? Mm-hmm. And so I really try to be very in tune with who I am. And I think it's part of a leader's role if, mm-hmm. or an aspiring leader's role or whatnot is knowing that every form of confrontation isn't going to work. Certain people really can't process it. Right. And so how do you confront a dynamic, whether it's a bold opinion, a strong opinion, a real difficult conflict? And how do you do that so they'll listen? And so I think that's the art and subtlety that goes in, in the sense that sometimes people think confrontation. They're like, I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm a strong personality. I'm going to do it this way. And this Hmm. is who I am, which is okay because I believe that everyone should be who they are. But I also think when you're like, all right, I'm not afraid to speak truth. Mm-hmm. But how can I speak truth in a way that the other person will process it? And that's an art and a subtlety that mm-hmm. kind of comes into it that allows you to be, to successfully confront something. Yeah. And it's something in the sense that I think to really be an expert communicator and be true to yourself, if you can learn how to do that, then you can really move further. I, again, everyone has, I'm a very passionate person. I'm a very loud person. I'm a very direct person. Mm-hmm. And I think if anything, I mean, pretty confrontational. And I'm not afraid for people to get upset with me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me. Right. I'm not afraid for someone to yell at me. Very, I mean, mm-hmm. it is what it is. But what I've learned my 30-year-old self versus my mid-40-year-old self, mm-hmm. I've learned that there's real art to confrontation that can actually allow you to be much more successful That's versus so good. just approaching it one way. Yeah. And just being like, here I am, like take it or leave it. Right. But saying like, if I actually want to accomplish this goal and being strategic to say like, I want you to come around to my side because I think of all of the benefits and I want you to see this and like me just like yelling and screaming or whatever, like. It's an EQ. It's an emotion, it you know, it is emotional is. intelligence that needs to be layered in. I think what was cool about I your feel test. Like, I wish there was just so much more of that within leadership. Right. And within women coming up. It's a big thing. There's big studies all over about it mm-hmm. in the sense of how the next generation of leaders are going to need some emotional intelligence, how to do that. And I think you're right. I think women have been said, you know, sit in the back seat, sit in the front mm-hmm. seat, speak your truth, do this, do that. Always be who you are. Always or, be authentic. And then you're you like, show emotion, then that is a sign of weakness. But this is really about knowing like your audience and understanding mm-hmm. how to communicate with them and how is it going to be effective. Some people can yell right back at you and don't have a problem. Like you, if you and I got into it, we'd yell, whatever it might be. Other people, if you're too confrontational, they retreat yeah. and, and they shut down. Mm-hmm. And again, in your, your test, they're that. And so like, how can you say things right. and do things with, again, confronting a situation and being real about a situation and not being passive aggressive so about a 
situation because that drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. But like directly confronting it, but in a way that's productive. So I think it's a little bit of a nuance right. that goes into it. And it's really about... And honoring that person and not saying like, I'm just going to walk all over you because I can. Exactly. Exactly. Because a person, yeah. a personality type like yours or mine probably can do that. And we can speak louder and we can probably intimidate people because yeah. we're so bold with what we believe. And again, not to say it's right. We're just... We're con- with, there's a lot of conviction behind what our thoughts are. Yeah, but, but how you convey that. How you get someone to your side, the art of persuasion, the of art of <laughs> successful <laughs> confrontation, I think is a whole other thing yeah. that people need to work on. Yeah. I love it. Well, so we're both eights. I am, I am there with you and love women kind of leading the way. So could you actually give us a glimpse into your role and the things that you have helped create or bring to Orlando that people might not have a full scope of what you've done in the past 16? Well, as, my math is yeah, no, it's 16. 17 years. Let's see. It's been like, it, it's so crazy how time goes. It's like, you know, again, I thought this was going to be a little blip in my life, the Orlando market. Yeah. But, you know, I think I've been parts of a lot of great teams. And I know that you say like two minutes ago, it's like you own it and you do this. Um, but I, I've always worked with a lot of great people. And so some of the things I've worked on, like I've worked with and supported Mayor Dyer and with all of his elections, especially mm-hmm. early on. Recently I was Mayor Deming's finance chair and getting to help him raise money for a successful mayoral okay. race. And, you know, to me having really important progressive leaders, it or having progressive leaders is important to me. Like I want to support candidates that um are gonna be good for a region and that have you know, are committed to diversity and economic development and equality and those sorts of things. So I think those are tenets of our community now. Mm-hmm. So I've worked very closely to help them be successful. Like I said, I've worked on, been parts of teams. I was part of Creative Village with Craig Usler. Oh, yeah. And I think 2007, I was with mm-hmm. him for many, many years, helping mm-hmm. him shape and work with that. And really proud to be part of his team mm-hmm. at the beginning as he started that. Obviously, I worked with soccer. Yes. Um, and that was a really fun one. And we worked, you know, that was a great experience because I worked with them before um, they became a Things, major league stadium, yeah. a major league soccer team. How did you so get connected with them? I got connected them through a couple different sources, some referrals um, with pe- different people that knew them. And then they needed to go after funding at um, with different government partners. And so we were part of the team that helped with that. And then, as you know, we became really great friends. And I consider Kay mm-hmm. and Emily and the, Nikki and John and James and everyone yeah. dear, dear, dear friends. So I think I've been able to work on all these regional projects. I've worked on the UCF downtown project and helping with some private funding and some government relations there. Mm-hmm. I've worked on the Advanced Manufacturing Center um, bridge in Osceola County. I've worked um, with Tavistock for 15 years. Oh, wow. And I've worked okay. with Disney for 15 years. Okay. And so being part of their teams has been really good. So sometimes I can't talk about all the things that I do. Sure. But I think what's been a really great, great process is we've grown our firm in Orlando. We we started it and we were the first ones to have this local government model um, where we advocate to local governments. And in my firm, when I started, it was just Tallahassee in, in the state of Florida. It was Tallahassee, and then we opened Orlando office. And because our business model has been so successful, we have Jacksonville and Tampa and Miami. Wow. And so... So what... Back up just a little bit. Like yeah. What does the Southern Group 
do. So we are. So we are. Does that a look word, like in a real world yeah. scenario? So we are lobbyists, okay. which is what a lot of people think is a dirty word. <laughs> right. I was at a cooking class once and someone, you know, you never know, like, if you're going to say what you do because people have some interesting perceptions of it. And so I was at a cooking class once, which was funny. And this woman, I told everyone what I did. And then this woman said, oh, you know, I know what you do. And I go, you do? And she goes, um, you, um, you take people out to dinner. And I go, yes, that is what I do. Which I do do that as part of my job. Yeah. It was, it was just funny. I think people have, (laughs) you know, I think about it like when people say lobbyists, they think it's a dirty word, but everyone's advocating for something. And so like a lobbyist is an advocate. What Mm -hmm. we are is we're experts at government. We understand how government works. We understand how mayors work or we understand how Senate works or we understand how the legislature works or we understand the executive branch. Yeah. And we help clients come in and create strategies to work with government. It might be to create policies. And so it might be something like you're trying to create a water policy or a sustainability policy or not allowing guns in cars at schools or theme parks. So Mm -hmm. we advocate to the government about that. It could be that we are helping them with land use issues, trying to figure out how they're going to work through that. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they're competing for work. They want to contract with that. So we are like the liaison and helping them figure that out. We also do some business development. So like we Mm -hmm. worked um, with Wawa when they entered the market. Mm -hmm. Everyone loves uh, Shorty and Wawa (laughs) and their coffee. And so we help them we help them connect with the community. So okay. we help them connect with business leaders and community leaders. They had really interesting real estate challenges on how their land stuff was. So mm-hmm. we worked with all the local governments. We worked with that on the Department of Transportation and we worked with a bunch of different things. So our job is really to help clients navigate government. Okay. And that's what we do on a day to day basis. Yeah. Thanks for breaking that down for me. Yeah, no problem. Like, hmm, interesting. What has been um, some of the more re- rewarding things about working kind of like for the central Florida area? Well, I just think it's been really fun to see how it evolves and grows. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been really interesting to be part of making a place and creating a place where I think a lot of people agree our best days are still ahead Mm -hmm. versus a city that is kind of trying to survive or status quo. I think it has been really interesting to come in and be you know, we're welcoming here and you're, you can easily have a seat at the table. Mm. And I've really enjoyed Mm -hmm. having a seat at the table. I think if you're in New York or Miami or LA or Chicago, it would be a lot more, you'd either have to have a lot more money would be old established families. And it'd be harder to kind of infiltrate that culture and the Mm -hmm. culture. And I think here, anyone who wants to have an active role can. And so like, I think about what I was saying to you earlier in 2003, like when I came here and I thought it was the worst of the worst. (laughs) And now I think about it now. And I think about, I look at all the stuff that's happening here and it's because of our government. It's because of the business leaders. I mean, it's because of our constituents and citizens wanting more. So yeah. I think it's really fascinating. I mean, when we came here in 2003, there wasn't the venues. There wasn't the UCF Medical School. There wasn't the UCF downtown. There wasn't a vibrant dining scene. There wasn't a vibrant cocktail scene. And in the 16 years that I've been here... There wasn't a soccer club. There wasn't a soccer... There wasn't a lot of stuff. And right. it's really exploded into quite a vibrant community. Mm-hmm. So I'm proud. It's just been really fun to watch. Yeah. Have there been... 
things that you have found challenging to kind of um, move the needle in Orlando or like, and, or like what are kind of some challenges that you'd like to see kind of in the future? I think the challenge, I mean, I think the issue is, you know, sometimes politics, look, Orlando, central Florida is very blue. It is Orlando, Orange County voted for Hillary Clinton by 26 points. Osceola County is very blue. Seminole County is turning purple and the rest of the state, or a significant part of the state is very red. Okay. And so how do we ensure that we're continue to be heard at the state level? I think is a, it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one side of it. I think also the continuing dialogue about telling people that we are, there's more to our community mm-hmm. and that we have the theme parks, which I, you know, the theme parks are the, and tourism is whether we like it or not, is a, it, it's a huge part of our community and yeah. employs people it it's filled our community with artisans and creatives and dreamers and it has means that orlando's brand is known by 99 percent of the huge yeah and financially yeah. i mean we wouldn't have any of the the tourist development tax that has generated is allowed us to have some amazing things here it's yeah. again the things that you're talking about like yeah. the performing arts center or the philharmonic or what it does so i think it is a huge asset to our community to mm-hmm. have I think continuing to tell our story about some of the hyper local things that we have here mm-hmm. and the trendy forward thinking restaurants and um, bars and entertainment and things we have is really important. It's like they yeah. have that campaign, you know, Orlando, you don't know the half of it. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I think that's important because every time you're from here, you say you're from Orlando and then you have to say, but it's super cool. Right. And so I think that's it. You know, something that people are starting to notice, our job growth Shift every year. Shift the perception of, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I think that is yeah. definitely something that is, um, it's going to just take more work and diligence to do and constant yeah. communication and storytelling and people sharing their experiences here. And it can be both paid communication and also super authentic and organic. Like what, again, what you do posting and sharing about the dinner party project. I mean, that's about as cool as it gets and people understanding that. And like, here's a city that you can come to where eight strangers can sit at a table and have a really good time and learn about each other. And I know the events that I've been to of yours where you've had hundreds of women at the table from different backgrounds and ages and that we've all had a really great time together. And it's every race, it's every... That's the name of the, yeah, absolutely. That's the name of the game. Like the beautiful diversity that we have here in the city and the connected and the appreciation of like different cultures mm-hmm. and backgrounds and to say like, hey, we can operate in the same space and the more that we know each other, the better mm-hmm. that we are and the more connected that we are. And then we don't all have to believe the same thing or practice yes. the same things, but um, let's celebrate the differences and not be as isolated, right, mm-hmm. as... as um as it's, it is kind of easy to be sometimes isolated, um, especially if you don't kind of get out there and know the people within your city and that takes effort, but it's kind of like an, hopefully a little bit of an easier way to be invited in and someone do the heavy lifting of helping that conversation to start and to flow and then see the connections at the end of the night, which I think is like a really, powerful thing and you can have one through nines there (laughs) so you can see how they all engage absolutely i think that that's so powerful um and kelly i just think that you are such an asset to our city and like having you here and just knowing all the things that you have brought here and that have fought to 
make the city great, I think is really important. And, and you are so needed here. <laughs> um, so I just appreciate you and what you're doing and how you've grown the city in the, in the past, you know, 17 years and continuing to grow and fight and, um, figuring out the things that are going to make us a more diverse place and more celebrated place to, to be and to live and that people would know the other half of the, the resort or attraction side of Orlando, but to say like, yeah, you don't know the half of it. And here are the things that I'm fighting for. And here's why, and this is important to me. And this is important to our city. And you've done a lot of that fighting. So I just appreciate you. Well, thank <laughs> and, you for having me over yeah. and making this delicious cocktail. And being and on my team. Um, I love supporting it. Well, I'm a me. big cheerleader of yours. So this thank is you. fun. And the last topic that we're going to talk about is um, one of my absolute favorites and something that I don't think that people talk about enough or do enough. And as you know, you touched on it a little bit before, which I think is wonderful, but just rest. And so just how rest can impact, you know, rest, whether that's play, discovery, um, dreaming, um, physical rest, kind of slowing down, taking time. Um, but kind of like what practices have you adopted to kind of rest, renew, restore, step back, be able to have that time for self-care so that you can offer your best self to the world? I am. I, I think I'm a work in progress on that. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's hard. You know, sometimes I think that we all work ourselves so hard that you just have burnout. And I think that's a real danger. But what I do is I, I do try to do um, meditation. I, I try to meditate okay. at least once a day. And then I try, um, I find reading really relaxing. So I read and so I'll just listen to yeah. music. I think it's really important to put your phones down, which I, I know everyone says, but I feel like even when you're just scrolling through your phones, like your brain and your eyes are just so stimulated mm-hmm. and it's just trying to be less stimulated. Reading is relaxing to me, but sometimes I just listen to music. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I take a nap. Sometimes I'll go for a walk or do yeah. yoga. Um, I don't know. I just try to do things that like are a little bit more slow and low key and just really disconnecting. I think being away from my phone is one of the most relaxing things that Mm -hmm. I can do. And so I really try to carve out some times and some hours. And it's always funny when you do that. Some people will be like, I was trying to get in touch with you during the work week. I don't do that. But on Sunday, I really try Mm -hmm. not to have like my phone with me and attached or like if I know like this upcoming holiday, I try to create some boundaries and say, hey, um, I'm going to be offline for a little bit. Or I just tell people or I just won't get right away and I don't feel bad about it Mm -hmm. because I think that having these devices attached to us can really just mess with us and make yeah. us more exhausted than we need to be. If you're constantly staring at it and responding and retexting and doing all of that, you have a burnout from that. And so those are some of the ways I, I but again, I think it's a struggle. It shouldn't be because that's our natural state. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think the idea that you want to be like everything to everyone and the idea that you want, want to be available and accessible and all those sorts of things is, yeah. Um, but the importance but, to say like, I need to have some boundaries and some time, like you said, that you like to spend time. Well, it's, totally. I think it's really important. And I think mm-hmm. as you get older, it becomes more and more important. And then I think as you reflect, you realize, why was I so on all the time? And, you know, it can have real health impacts when you're not getting rest and you're not relaxing and you're not – and not relaxing like eating bonbons, just something that's like – you're detached and you're quiet. Finding pleasure in. Yes. It could be with friends. It could be by yourself, but it is time that you can kind of like breathe a little bit and like kind of like 
a Sabbath practice of like mm-hmm. the Sabbath is like to stop, right? To stop working, to stop. And that that's something that sometimes can be a challenge <laughs> and something that is like when you get to those places, you see like the the huge benefit of that to say work isn't everything. Kind of like we were talking about before of like the beauty of knowing definitely the importance of work, but then also knowing the importance of stopping. Yeah. It's just carving out time for yourself and Mm -hmm. carving out, you know, being realistic about it. And again, everyone has different things. Like I probably, you know, I've always thought that I don't have kids. So sometimes people think that um, I'm not equally as busy Mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily the case. But for me, I find how I can carve out time is Sunday. I try to find a couple hours. I really Mm -hmm. try not to do much on Sunday. I'm not Sunday brunch person. I have so many things that I do during the week. So I'm just like, Sundays are my time. And I really try to protect them. And so I look forward to that. But I think sometimes women who are raising kids, you know, I think it's a whole different thing. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I I think everyone does their best to figure out what is calming to them and allows them to get recentered and focused. But I think whether you're mom, not a mom, whether you're a stepmom, a grandma, whatever it is, trying to find that time. And they're showing, I mean, right now it's, I mean, there's document after document after document and study after study saying what stress and it's doing to your body. Physically. And so therefore I think it's more important than ever to figure that out, whatever it may be. And, you know, maybe it's 10 minutes a day, maybe it's a Sunday, whatever it is to Mm -hmm. just try to prioritize it for your well-being. Yeah. I know you like to travel also. What would be like an ideal day for Kelly? Like an ideal day off, like could be here, it could be anywhere. You could do whatever, like money's not an issue. What would be like an absolute ideal oh my gosh. day you for know, you? I think one of the things I love when I travel is just walking mm. and just getting lost. And it could be like on a hike. I really like hiking. Yeah. Or it could be in the city. And just walking and just like, just not necessarily having an agenda, maybe trying to a couple of points that you want to go, mm-hmm. but wandering a city and finding yeah. new things. It's the best and see and not really taking it in, like not driving around because I think you miss things. It's like mm. when you can really walk somewhere. I, I just love it. I feel like you can get lost, whether like you're in Paris, you can get lost, like just walking around. I'll be lost and, like, in Paris any day. Right? <laughs> right. Or you could be in we were in Switzerland in the Swiss Alps and we did a hike and we didn't know what we were doing and we saw some of the most beautiful places. And so mm-hmm. to me, I really like, um, I really just try to be open-minded and just kind of walk around, get a really immersed in the culture. I love to do everything just like I do here. I right. really try to be hyper local and try to find like the, um, the, the most local little restaurant, have coffee yeah. and just try not to be rushed. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, I really try to think about vacation as vacating your life. And speaking of rest, Stepping it's like really that, yeah. important to like completely immerse myself in an experience. I mean, sometimes you can't, you have other things you have to do. But for me, I've been, you know, I really try to take in every smell and every sound and stop and eat the things that maybe I wouldn't eat. Like I love when I go to Europe, they eat frites with everything. And I will just mm. eat I mean, I could eat French fries for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, literally, it's my favorite food. Now I want them right now. I know. Like, I always right. see my friend Gene Zimmerman, who gave me – he told me his – like, what his favorite last meal would be. And I've decided that I'm going to steal his favorite last meal. Okay. Because it was so good. Which but is? French fries, stone crabs, and Bollinger. What's Bollinger? Champagne. Oh, champagne. But it. it is a specific type. But right. it's like – I pretty much love French fries – 
I, mm-hmm. and I love stone crabs mm-hmm. and I love champagne. So it's yeah. like those things I think are good. So it's like when you go, like I generally eat a pretty healthy diet. I mean, and I don't eat red meat and I try, but like if I'm on vacation, I'm just like, let's in, let's just have it. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just do it. Let's just experience it all. Yeah. So those are like, it's not one specific thing. It's just really getting immersed and letting go and just really yeah. exploring and connecting with whatever city or location that you're yeah. in. Oh, I love it. Oh, well, I love it. Well, you're the, you also <sighs> can give me a pointer. I do. Too, so. Um, as we, as we kind of wrap up, is there any last bit of like wisdom or mantra that you live by? I, it's funny. I was thinking about that for 2020. Like, what am I going to, what am I going to do? I mean, one of my favorite quotes is Maya Angelou's, you know, people will never, may not remember what you say, but they'll remember how you make them feel. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, it's like, I always want someone to have an experience with me that is positive. And so I think about that. I think about how I connect with people. I think about like the waitress or the janitor and I think about how they they connect with me and so for me that's really important Mm -hmm. but I also think that for you know one of the things I'm really working on this year I think is going to be to be really present and let other stuff go Mm. and I think that's a challenge Mm -hmm. a lot of times when you're you can get your brain can become so cluttered Mm -hmm. so I think the Beatles let it be (laughs) is going to be like my mantra for 2020 Especially with upcoming election cycles, I might have to be quite figure out some ways to be quite calm and zen. So yep. I think that's the way I'm going to approach next year. That sounds like or it. I'm going to try. Try. Right? Yes. That's all we can do. Yes. That's a beautiful plan. Absolutely. So thank you so much for spending a little bit of your time with me and just sharing your story and just being around. So well, thank you so much for just all that you do and all the creative energy that you put out there and all the connections and hosting people in your home and my delicious cocktail. And I just really appreciated the conversation. Oh, likewise. Thank you. Until next time. All right. Cheers. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversations? 